Pod. 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 Welcome back to another episode of Say Who Say Pod. He's Danny O'Neill. I'm Christian Capel. Uh, Danny, what? Where were you at on that fourth and one when they when they sent the punt team out? When they called timeout? When you saw the offense was going back out there? What did you want them to do? Were you pleased? Were you nervous? What was what was going through your mind watching that game? I wanted them to go for it. I was a little distracted. I was in a cabin in Wawona, which is inside Yosemite National Park, but is actually a little community has its own post office there. I was there with seventy six members of my father's clan. The O'Neills were were congregated there. I was playing a board game with my niece and nephew and and my sister and my my wife as well. We were all playing. So I was somewhat distracted. I was very conscious of what was going on. I wanted them to go for it. I gasped when I saw that it was not a run directly ahead. Was not a big fan of that. And then when the pitch went to Rome, I didn't, I didn't realize what was happening until the exchange occurred, which probably saved me because I would have been just aghast at at what happened. And then as soon as Rome got the ball, I saw where, um, I saw where is it twenty five? Is that Hicks? Because mm-hmm. I think he was on the edge. I saw how deep he was, and I was like, "It's over." I wondered if he might score at that point. Um, incredibly gutsy call. And I think it, it was right or wrong. I think that's exactly what you should do in that moment. If you're looking to sort of speak confidence to your team, as opposed to let's try to manage our way through this game. I, I thought, I thought it was a bold stroke and I loved it. It was very, uh, it was very in keeping with Kalen DeBoer's style. Um, that- yep no matter where they are in the field, if they feel like they can get a yard, if they feel like they've got a look. And I think part of it was confidence and belief in that call. Like we've heard DeBoer and Grubb talk since then. And I mean, Grubb said they felt like they'd had a number of looks throughout the game and maybe on film coming into the game where in, in those situations, uh, Wazoo crashed the way that they did. Mm-hmm. At least I think that was the implication that they they felt like it would be there one way or the other based on what they'd seen from Wazoo in those situations. It was actually in their goal line package, Grubb said. So I think if they it, were going to call it in this game, they figured it would be in a in a goal line setting. But like he said, that you know, that might as well have been the goal line, right? It's it's fourth and one. You need one yard to to essentially continue having a chance to win the game. Because if you don't get that, Wazoo's already in field goal range. So um interesting when your best playmaker is a receiver and you've got those short yardage mm-hmm. situations and two weeks in a row, they have found a way to go to Romo Dunze when they needed that one play to move the chains. And they did it. Uh, they did it through the air against Oregon state. And that felt a little bit risky for, for clock reasons. And then um, found a way to get the, the ball in his hands without throwing it on fourth and one in a, a pretty creative way. So it, interesting that they found two different ways to, to get the ball to Rome, so to speak, um, in in some pretty big time moments here these last couple of weeks. I do remember when we first started this podcast. John Donovan was the offensive coordinator, and both of us were very clear that Roma Dunze, when he has the ball, is your best your best player on offense, and he needs to get the ball. So, 
to see where this offense is at now. And look, it was a run play, but there's a lot of variables in in what they ran on fourth and one. It's a read by the quarterback and it's an unorthodox exchange. There's there's two two that I think a lot of coaches would be very nervous with there. You're asking the quarterback to to make a diagnosis in something that he's not not a play that is frequently run and then an unorthodox exchange where he's kind of disguising the fact that it's going to go to a guy that's running the opposite direction from from the blocking on the play and they pulled it off seamlessly and Rome is fun in the open field man <laughs> watching that cut inside I tried I, I've always loved talking to safeties about that moment when a running back comes storming through the line kind of untouched through the second level of the defense is one of the hardest things for a safety to stop and in this case it was a corner but it's the same sort of thing where all of a sudden there's Rome untouched full head of steam and you've got to come up and make a stop. And that dude had no shot at stop and row. It was a, uh, a very fluid cut by oh, God, it was not a, it's beautiful. I mean, very subtle, very simple. And maybe not something that if, if um, it doesn't jump off the film because we see him every week, but um, yeah, it, not, not a, just an, an athletic move that not, not every, not every receiver uh, can make. It reminds me, I I probably have said this on the podcast before, but the very first time I ever wrote about Romo Dunze, I talked to his high school coach, and this is a Bishop Gorman. You know, this is not some some tiny little school that just lucked into having Romo Dunze, so they give it to him every time. And this is a powerhouse, national powerhouse program, uh, and and their um, receivers coach, or maybe it was their offensive coordinator, uh, said that their their play call often was uh, get the ball to Rome. That was that was uh, that was one of their their premier concepts in their offense. Just yeah, let's just just find a way to get in his hands and, and he'll make a play. So that's, you know, it's it, here they are in twenty twenty three and Washington has kind of adopted the the same mantra and he is now a, a Blitnikov finalist. So Wazoo played extremely well, and I want to give a lot of and their defense specifically. Those guys played hard and they tackled, but on that play, Rome made that DB look like a kicker. That that's what it looked like. It looked like a kicker trying to make a tackle. And that's not a criticism of Wazoo's player. That is a compliment to how aggressive and at full speed that that cut was. It was it was an awesome move. And man, Rome's Rome's been phenomenal this year. I saw I was talking to Tony Castrocone yesterday and I saw I misread the graphic on Monday Night Football because I thought that Mel Kuyper had listed Rome as the number five overall prospect on his big board. It was the number five offensive player on his big board, but still, I mean, the possibility that he's a top 10 pick. That's awesome for him, man. It's so cool. Yeah. I mean, it's, um, and I'll, I'm going to write a little bit probably, uh, on Wednesday. So yeah, I'm going to write yesterday, uh, as you're listening to this, um, <laughs> Just kind of assessing Rome's place in in the the Washington receiver pantheon with some input from some guys who are already there. So be sure to check out uh, onmontlake.com for that. Is he the best? He's got an argument, and I like I yeah. would have said that I would have said that was insane. Um, mm-hmm. Even coming into the season, even as uh, as talented as I've always believed that he was, and even after coming off an eleven hundred yard season last year, I'd have said, well, like. 
you know, Reggie Williams is still Reggie Williams. It'd be hard yeah. to put anybody past Reggie Williams, but man, I, I don't know. I don't know that, um, that any single receiver Washington's had is capable of doing all of the things on a football field that Romo Dunze is like John Ross was an amazing kick returner and you could hand the ball to him and he was awesome in the open field. And he was, he's faster than any receiver they've ever had, obviously. Um, but he couldn't go up in high point 50, 50 balls with like a 75% success rate, you know, and Reggie Williams could do that. He was that kind of player. Um, he was the big physical bully and yep. he was also pretty darn good in the open field. Um, but I don't think you ever saw him return a punt for a touchdown, you know? So it's, um, it's, it's, it's getting to be, you know, it's, it's sort of like what I said about Washington's win over Oregon, the atmosphere at Husky stadium that day, you know, forget about whether it was the greatest, it was one of one, you know, no matter what it was, I I think it's to the point where you'd say Romo Dunze is one of one. Yeah. He's been just unbelievable to watch. It's been, we're very fortunate. (laughs) We're very fortunate that he stuck around on two different occasions, he d- he did it twice. He stuck around after after the John Donovan abomination season, and then he stuck around after last season when he very well could have been and would have been a very high draft pick. And the fact that Kuyper's talking about him it or has him ranked that high makes me wonder if he would have ended up going in the first round last year. Because if he would have, I would assume, I'm not sure there's many football players that would choose to come back if they were going to be a first-round pick. But Or maybe he has sort of improved in his ability to make contested catches and the way he's been able to execute kind of the back-shoulder throws. What he's done has has elevated him to that point. But man, it's, it's, it's pretty incredible to have watched uh, him blossom in this way. By the way, I only mentioned Reggie and John Ross. I don't mean to imply that's like the entire receiver pantheon. I realize I'm leaving out Mario Bailey and, and a couple other guys there. So don't let Love don't Mario. don't don't fret. I'm not uh, I'm not limiting it to to that group. Um, so Washington's twelve and zero, and they're here at the rematch Wait, against what? Oregon. They're, they're undefeated. Wanted. They're twelve and zero. I think they won all of those games. Yeah, they won them all. Um. Where are you at as far as reveling in that? I mean, going 12-0 and through a regular season. They're the only team in the Pac-12 era to go unbeaten in conference play. Um, mm-hmm. They are the only team in Washington history to be 12-0 and through a regular season. They're the second team ever to be 12-0 and at all. Um, and yet, they're 9.5-point underdogs, and it kind of feels like this season, the way that this season um is going to be talked about down the road is still very much in the balance right because they've had the playoff as a goal and they've had competing for a national championship as a goal and many other years i think going 12 and 0 in the regular season in a in a power conference with the number of top 25 wins that they have would be enough to say going into championship weekend they're probably in the field win or lose but that's not the case this year because there's three other unbeaten teams there are a couple other one loss teams playing in conference championship games that are lurking that could get involved and the consensus kind of seems to be that save for a nuclear scenario which i kind of outlined it at onmontlake.com on tuesday um washington really doesn't have much shot of getting in the field unless they win this game it would take for them to get in 
with a loss. You would need, and I'm going off of memory here, you would need Georgia to beat Alabama because that knocks Alabama out. You would absolutely need Louisville to beat Florida State after Louisville just lost. Mm-hmm. And you would 100% for sure need Texas to lose to Oklahoma State for it mm-hmm. to even have a have a possibility of that happening. And if all that happens, you've still got to have the committee choose Washington over Ohio State, right? Yeah. Um, and you could throw, well, would it be helpful for Iowa to upset Michigan? But... I don't see a way. I don't see a way Michigan gets left out even if they lose. Like even yeah. if they lose three nothing, <laughs> which is possible given Iowa, it is possible. Uh, also, the other the other factor you would need Washington's loss to Oregon to be very close. So it would need to really, be really a close. an October fourteenth esque type of game where it's just yes. classic back and forth. Either of these teams could win. They're both really good, and Oregon just happened to come out on top this time. Yes, you would need them to pick Washington over Ohio State. Um, yeah. <laughs> Logically, I can get there. I can't see how the college football selection committee would do it. And maybe I'm yeah, wrong. It's, but it's, I just, in I, that case, I don't, I think, I don't would, think even in the most nuclear case, I think it would be a debate and a discussion, but I don't see them picking Washington ahead of Ohio State. It would, um, it would come down to, I think, the same logic that they probably applied in keeping Florida State ahead of Washington as long as they did, which is they'd get down to that. In the scenario we we described, uh, Georgia's the one seed. It, it, let's say Michigan beats Iowa. Uh, Michigan's the the two seed. Oregon's the three seed, and then it's down to Washington and Ohio State for for number four. Um, I think the same logic would be applied. I think it would be like, okay, yeah, we can look at Washington's resume. Yeah, the top twenty five wins. Yeah, their their only loss is to a team they also beat who also happens to be our number three team going into the playoff, which happens to be the best win in college football this year by anybody. Look, come on. Ohio State's better than Washington. <laughs> you know, watch us. What are we doing? I'd, watch them. I'd, the Buckeyes. I'd have, we, we, we've watched these teams. You really, you're going to sit here and tell me Washington's better than Ohio State and should be in the play. Like, I, I, I kind of think that that vibe would win out, don't you? I do, and I wish they would come out and say it that way. But instead, there would be a whole lot of conversation about how impressive the win over Notre Dame was, that they beat Penn State, that their only loss was to it, – it, it came in, in one game and they didn't get a chance to to avenge that, at which point you'd be like, well, actually their only loss was to a team that is very much on par with the team that 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 Ohio State lost to, like, Washington loses to Oregon and Ohio State loses to Michigan, except Washington had previously beat Michigan or Washington had previously beat Oregon. But yeah, I, I, I tend to agree with you that it would come down to it. They're like, yeah, uh, we're, we're going to let one of the Pac-12 teams in, but we're not letting both in. Yeah. Um, the, the brands, the brands matter. You know? <laughs> and like, I, listen, I, how many, how many people, listening would would honestly pick washington straight up over ohio state on a neutral field like there's a there's a legit argument there right and i think the defensive numbers would be cited to ohio state's a top two defense nationally scoring defense wise and you know there are any number of metrics you could use against either team you know any two teams in a debate like you can 
they, they, they're going to do what they want. They're going to pick the four teams they want and they're going to justify it. However, they, uh, however they see fit. So it's, it, uh, it comes back to kind of what this team's mantra has been all year, which is just keep winning, win the games and, and, and don't worry about the rest. I don't have a huge complaint with that. I mean, just honestly speaking, I don't, I don't have a huge beef with, with sort of how this, this year's selection process is playing out. Washington's got the opportunity to get to the college football playoff if it beats Oregon to win the conference title. And I think, I think all things, that's pretty reasonable. It's a pretty, I don't, I, if they lose to Oregon, I'm sure there's a little, I'll feel little pangs of, oh, under the old system before it was the Pac-12, they, they wouldn't have had to beat Oregon twice. But all in all, it's a, it's pretty fair. As as far as college football goes, it's a pretty fair and straightforward procession. And it's not like Washington housed Oregon by 20 points in the previous meeting. I'm excited to see it. I'm pumped to see this game. Even and if even if it turns out I'm not going to be able to see it in person, Christian. Uh-oh. What's what happened? I I got a little scheduling snap. It's not for sure, but it at right now at this point it appears that uh, an interview I need to do for a book project that I'm doing will need to take place in California on Friday. So it it, it it's not for sure, but as of right now, I would say the chances are 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 pretty small that I'm going to end up in Vegas for the title game, which stinks. And we're talking Northern California. Yes, San Francisco area. Okay, so there's no Sonoma, like hangover, be more hangover style last second uh, <laughs> racing, racing back to to L.A. or I whatever. Don't, I don't think so. We'll see. We'll see. Like I said, it's not it's not set in stone, but this is it's something I've been trying to arrange for several months. It looks like a window of opportunity is opening, and I'm going to need to grab it now. I'm going to hope that it's not my my last chance at seeing Washington this year and that whether it's the Rose Bowl hopefully or the Fiesta Bowl that I'll be going to see them in a bowl game but it looks like I'm not going to be there which I'm bummed about because this is it's it's such a good game man it's such an incredible build up like the setting the the fact they're playing on grass it's these two teams that game was so great the first time yeah it's pretty remarkable are you um are you concerned about the way Washington has played going into this game? Because I sure. I think coming out of the Apple Cup, the sentiment seemed to be twofold, right? Like, yeah, wow, twelve and zero, they keep finding a way, but man, Oregon looks like a machine, and they're waiting in Vegas, and they got revenge on their minds. And have we seen enough from Michael Penix Jr. and this offense to believe that that they're going to go in there and and make it two for two against the Ducks this season? My answer is. Yeah, I am worried. It doesn't mean that I'm sort of quaking or like, oh man, they've got no shot. But Oregon's played better than Washington since that meeting. And Michael Penick's completion percentage is down like 10% going back to kind of the first five weeks compared to the last seven games. And his interceptions have, have gone up significantly while, while touchdown throws have remained the same. I, I don't know what has what to pin it on. I know that there's a lot of people who think he's hurt or have implied that he's hurt. I know people are being asked about him being injured. I wouldn't expect anyone on Washington to be transparent if he were injured. 
there's there was his reaction after the field goal or as the field goal was being kicked, which was unusual. Um, I don't really know how to evaluate the way that they've played, but they've fair, they've struggled on offense in a way that they did not in the first five weeks. Yeah, I um, I think it is an is an underrated part of it that they haven't had Jalen McMillan. Hmm. Yeah, because they didn't have him against Arizona or or really Oregon uh, either, and still got quite a bit done offensively. So I I think that's a factor. And then yeah, I mean I. Penix sounds like he's maybe a little bit sick again. I mean, he was he was coughing after the game a little, and he just kind of has that head cold sound to him, kind of like he did when we talked to him after the Stanford game. So I don't know. I mean, Grubb mentioned he was under the weather at the end of the game. I don't know if that referred to an illness or, or what, but I think his reaction during the field goal, I would just chalk that up to emotions. I think it was a very emotions. emotional moment, and he's an emotional guy. Um you know, they, this is what they came back for. Twelve and zero, perfect season. It's all hanging in the balance, and you know, yet again, the offense itself didn't actually make the step on the throat play. Right? They wanted to score a touchdown there, and they mm-hmm. threw the ball a couple times, and one of them was almost an interception, and and then you're you're sacked, and that field goal attempts longer, and so you know the to be the starting quarterback and have all the expectations and the pressure and everything that Michael Penix Jr. does. And then in that moment to have to rely on your sophomore kicker to make a 42 yard field goal to keep this thing going. And the game wouldn't have ended if he'd missed, it was tied. It would have gone to overtime, but you know, was probably, I could see, I could, I could understand how the, uh, the magnitude of all that maybe, maybe weighs on him in that moment. Um, you know, if, if he misses that, and you got to regroup and go to overtime. Um, you know that's that's tough. Uh, that would have been a that would have been a pretty huge momentum swing. Yeah, and all of those things you just said are totally true. And I can I can completely see that it is the absence of McMillan, and now there is Polk having a couple drops in in the monsoon at Oregon State. And then it was very clear they wanted McMillan involved early in the game. And that kind of came in at the, you just, it's clear that this offense is not functioning at the level that it was in the first five games of the season. And I would say really the first five and a half, because it was after they scored that touchdown on the first possession in the third quarter against Oregon. I USC, they regained that rhythm. And that was a game where I would say that, Penix played exceptionally well because of how well he threw on third down, but he didn't have the same volume of throws. Their offense hasn't looked as good. And that doesn't mean that they won't be competitive or won't have a chance or all of those. I think that this is going to be an incredible matchup to watch, but does Washington deserve to be, or does Oregon deserve to be a nine and a half point favorite right now? I don't have a huge complaint about that. I kind of, I kind of think that reflects the reality of what we've seen over the past month and a half. Yeah, I mean, I, and Grubb talked on Monday about, you know, teams are getting more aggressive with them and, and in terms of showing more man coverage. Um, I don't think that he loves the way that their run blocking has gone, especially the last couple of weeks, especially the second half against Oregon State. Um, it, it seems like, the, I mean, the coaches seem to believe it's a matter of execution. And I do think it's kind of started up front 
but certainly it's not limited to the offensive line. Like Penix missed some throws in the Apple mm-hmm. Cup, especially in yeah. that first half. I mean, there were some and the, they weren't misses, though, that made me think, oh, this guy's hurt. You know, he's not short arming stuff. He's not wincing in pain. I still I'll believe the rib thing when somebody confirms it, you know, like I, I, I don't I don't know that I um I see a guy who's just battling to stay on the field necessarily. Um, he missed some throws. You mentioned Jalen Polk. I mean, gosh, he's had just out of nowhere the the two yeah. worst games of his career, you know, know. for being you could argue maybe the most sure-handed guy on the team. I, I would have put him on that same pedestal with, with Romo Dunze in terms of when the ball's in the air and he's got a shot at it, you trust him to come down with it. Um, and, not you know, he was credited with a drop against Wazoo, and and that wasn't on the play where Jaden Hicks takes the interception mm-hmm. from him, right? That's a huge play. Yep. Um, you know, you've got, you've got Denzel Boston appearing to catch uh, a first down that, that is knocked away from him and, and ruled incomplete. Um, you know, the, the great diving catch by Jack Westover. Um, if that throws a little closer to his body, he catches that in stride and runs away. Of course, they threw a touchdown pass to Romo Dunza in the next play. So it's hard to downgrade Penix too much for that one. Cause that was a great throw. Um, the, this, the, the touchdown to a Dunze in the corner, the contested one. So, you know, I, I kind of, I kind of buy DeBoer's, um, explanation that he feels like they're really close to getting back in rhythm, that it is just like kind of a fine line, couple things here or there. There are some series where it, it they're, they're one play away from keeping it going and it's a play they usually make and they just don't make it. So, you know, I, I don't know that I see them like getting physically dominated by these teams that they should be, they should be beating by more points. I mentioned it in my story on Tuesday, but um, gameonpaper.com, grades each or assesses i guess each each college football game from a, a an analytic standpoint and washington's offensive success rate in this game was over 50 percent um so yeah so i, more I often saw than that not, same their chart. offensive plays were successful or efficient yeah what did you think of that because actually you compare it to other games uh they they came out looking at that graph of success rate you would have thought that they won that game by double digits for sure because of just how how the how the margin played out and yet it was a lot closer and i chalked some of that up too wazoo made some incredibly timely plays <laughs> a couple of those third down conversions and the third and 18 touchdown which i've tried to not fixate on too much because it was <laughs> one of the most frustrating things that that call to be caught in that defense and give up a touchdown like that in that situation gets real close to being <laughs> inexcusable. And I'm not sure whose fault it was. I'm going to guess that there was supposed to be safety help on that play, but that was brutal to watch. So William Inge, the linebackers coach and co-defensive coordinator um, said it was a, a problem of technique. That was, that was his explanation on Monday he said that, um, you can't give up outside leverage there um, and, and a fade into the end zone because you've got safety help to the field. So, um, yes, it kind of kind of puts it on the player a little bit, which is is. And and I do want to say that that was about as remarkable a throw and a catch as you can have. And if it was it's not a perfect, a perfect throw and a perfect catch. It's not a touchdown. Yeah, right. It, it 
a lot of things had to go incredibly right. That said, there should never be a situation in which you have an allow the opening for that many things to go right when it's third and 18 with that much time left on the clock. It was, it was, it was pretty brutal, but I I do think that Washington played better than you would think given, given just looking at the final score and the circumstances of the victory. I, I, I do, I do think that Washington's offense was not as inept as you might think or is being portrayed or people are, are characterizing it as. Which is wild because you could look at the box score and say, oh, Wazoo won this game. Because they edged them in yards per play. They outgained them. Um, I'm not looking at it. They might have had more first downs. I forget. But there were there were a number of number you know, number of metrics you could have looked at just from the, the more mainstream like box score and said, Wow, this is a game Wazoo probably feels like it should have won. I will say, not to get too deep into the 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 the, the nerdy analytics stuff, but game on paper uses their definition of success rate of a successful play. It's based on EPA expected points added, which um, is, is simply a measure of how much did you, how much did you add to your uh, likelihood of scoring more points than the average play based on where you're at in the field and down in distance. So um, any play that's over 0.0, they consider successful the they always list the top 10 plays the 10 most important plays of the game in order of of um epa and the highest epa play in that game was as you might suspect the third and 19 touchdown pass because on third and 19 from the 25 yard line you're not expecting that the offense is going to add any points Up with, with with there's not a play there that they're going to make that's going to add because one you're already in field goal range so mm-hmm. what could you do to move the, you know, you can move the ball closer and make a you know greater likelihood of kicking a field goal. But um, yeah, scoring a touchdown in that situation definitely uh, changes that number a little bit. I'm going to read you a couple stats here, Christian. These are the passing rates for Michael Penix. First five games, 74.7% completion, 16 TDs, two interceptions the next seven games 59 percent completion so down about 15 percent 16 touchdowns and six interceptions now this is especially this week i've seen this cited as the idea that something changed whether it's injury or something else they also played a lot better competition they also that starts the first five games brings them up to the oregon game they have played their four most difficult games, five most difficult games since then. Arizona, in retrospect, looks to be a much more difficult game than we thought at the time. Is that a reflection? Numbers aren't horribly off. Interceptions went up, completion percentage went down, but it's still 60% of his passes. Is is that as big a cause for concern as people are making it out to be? Hmm. I think it is, mm-hmm. um, but not like, I don't know. I don't think it suggests like some irreversible trend mm-hmm. because he still made really big time plays in all those games, yes, except for maybe, yes. except for maybe Arizona state um, where they just kind of, that was the most like stitch it together with glue and 
whatever, make it, just make it happen, get out of there with a win. Um, and you know, Oregon state was weird. And he, he made a lot of throws in that game that should have been caught or would have been caught if it hadn't been a, a downpour. And, and, you know, I, I don't, I don't know that it's enough to say like something's wrong with Michael Penix. Mm-hmm. I, I think Washington's offense has taken a step back and he's the starting quarterback. So he's part of that. But I, you know, I don't, I don't know that I've seen anything that makes me think like, okay, he's just, a, he's not the same guy and there's just no way he can have a big game against Oregon. Yeah. I, I agree with you on that for sure. Cause you look at what he did in the USC game. You look at how well he played in that game where it wasn't the volume of throws, but on those third and then in one case of fourth down, he was unbelievable. Couldn't you, you couldn't have a quarterback play better in that game than Michael Penix played. Um, and part of that too, when you say the offense and this might go back to Arizona state, it looked to me like Washington state did a lot of the same things Arizona state did in terms of the way it looked about bringing pressure. And Michael Penix is great at not taking sacks. But that means that sacks aren't the indication of the amount of pressure and how much he's hurried because he gets rid of the ball before the, the pressure gets there. But if he's getting the being forced to get rid of the ball too soon, that's going to be reflected in his numbers. He's not going to be as effective as a passer. So I wondered that. Have, have teams seen a, a way to go about defending this offense or bringing pressure more specifically over the course of the year and gotten better at that? Yeah, I think that's fair. And I think, you know, this is what Kalen DeBoer is 25 games into his Washington tenure. Um, there's, there should be a book out on this offense by now. Right. And, and you, you're talking about teams that are seeing it for a second time, right. who who saw it last season. And that was really kind of what stood out to me. I mean, this very similar offense put up 703 yards in Pullman last year. And so, mm-hmm. I mean, if you're Wazoo and Jake Dickert, like you got to be very pleased with with that year to year turnaround. Um, I I I think they did an okay job putting pressure on him. Like you said, he's good at not getting sacks, so it doesn't necessarily show up in the box score. Um, but yeah, I I I don't know. It was just one of those games. He missed he missed some open guys. He missed some open throws. He um, seems to. What do you think about this idea that they they abandon the middle of the field? and that he locks in on Odunze a little bit too much. It could be true. I, I think they were trying to accomplish some things. Like, I think they were trying to focus clearly early on. They wanted to get McMillan going, right? Like, that was what he had five catches in the first first quarter of that game. Um, does he lock onto him? Maybe a little bit, but I don't know, man. That's been so effective, too. Um I thought the bigger issue against Washington state was that the run game really wasn't going. Um, and, and that I, I think it, it looks like if Dylan Johnson kind of the best that we've seen of him was against USC, that he's, he's, he's pretty banged up right now is what it looks like to me. Um, yeah, maybe, maybe he does let go of the the middle of the field a little bit too much, but they've got so many weapons on the outside that it's hard for me to blame him for that. Right? Like that's, that's what's, that's <laughs> you dance with the, the one that brought you and that's where their offense has been best at. And that was another thing Grubb said they did. They had some calls 
to to try to take advantage in the middle a little bit, but some some wires got crossed and I think they had like a free rusher. Someone didn't block somebody on one of them or they didn't they didn't block it right. They didn't protect it right. So we'll we'll see. I'm I'm a little surprised and maybe the the answer to this is just that you know, Michael Penix Jr. won't be wouldn't be fooled by this kind of thing. I'm surprised we haven't seen teams try to bait that throw to Odunze with their by by disguising their coverage to give the impression that it's a one on one matchup, but that there's actually some safety help, or if maybe that's just so hard to do that uh, against them with the the weapons they have, because I it it is so what, it's so reliable and they go to it so often. I'm I'm wondering if there's a way that that a a defense might uh, might try to take advantage of it and try to try to give you that look to make it seem like oh yep there you go one on one to Odunze it's going to be there but actually it's not yeah the flip side of that though is that one of their most effective connections is that back shoulder fade it looks different but the ability to complete that it's hard to provide help on that kind of play right and that that the effectiveness of that then combined with the fact that he can run by you and and get creates it's i i think he's a tough it's tough to provide help outside the numbers and odunze does so much damage outside the numbers that unless you're really willing to dedicate a second player to to him it's it's providing safety help is a little bit more of a challenge because of how much happens right there at the edge that's true it's a good point um, if you're looking for reasons why Washington is, is maybe in a better spot offensively going into this game than they have been in recent weeks, um, they're going to have all their receivers, which is not something they've been able to yep. say. Um, Giles Jackson sat out the Apple cup to preserve his eligibility. He, he now gets to claim a red shirt for this year because he only appeared in four games. The postseason doesn't count. He can come back now in 2024 as a uh, a fifth year senior, sixth year senior, I guess, um, and so I, I assume he'll be available. He's also been banged up, battling through some injuries. Um, seems like Jalen McMillan got through the game okay. So you're going to have Odunze, Polk, McMillan, Jeremy Bernard, Giles Jackson, and Denzel Boston if you need him, which I don't believe they've had all six all season because when they had Jalen McMillan available the first three weeks, Giles Jackson was still coming back from the thumb injury, so. That's a that's a first a first for them, um, which I I assume they uh, they'll they'll try to take advantage of that. I think what what did you think watching Jalen McMillan? It didn't seem like he was necessarily a hundred percent. I mean, he didn't see he didn't really get the ball in like a full on sprint, try to outrun somebody situation, and they didn't try to throw it to him down the field. But clearly, they're trying to get it in his hands, give him some confidence, get him going. I thought he looked clearly better, and. Some of that might be the degree of difficulty coming back against Oregon State. And that, especially the first throw to him, was such a tough catch. And in a monsoon, I I, I thought that it looked better. And I, I, I do think that he should build confidence and and be more of of a threat. And at the very least, in, in Oregon's mind, than, than he has been. He played a little bit in the matchup against Oregon, but I think it was just a handful of plays. Um I also look forward to seeing a little more of Thule, right? Latuli lost Asanoa, who didn't really play until the end when they really needed it. I, I thought that that was pretty clearly attempt to 
budget to get him a little more rest in anticipation that going to have the possibility of the reality of a, of a short week and they're going to need him. That's going to be a huge, a huge factor in this game. And Carson Bruner had another monster game. That it, yeah, that's he's, he's been fantastic and I'm excited. If there's one thing that I'm excited about, about the matchup with Oregon is that I'm looking forward to seeing Carson Bruner play because I, I think that he's been playing the best football that I've seen him play over these past two weeks. Interesting that uh, Tupatala started, and he did come back from injury and, and start that game, but Carson Bruner led them in, in snap. Played more snaps than any linebacker, in fact. More than Ulafosio, more than Tupatala, more than Raylan Goforth. So it does seem like there's an acknowledgement there that he's he's got the hot hand. He's one of their best guys. I mean, 14 tackles and back-to-back weeks, and he's making – how about that play he made in the open field on the uh, the, the completion to the out to the right in the flat? Um Mm-hmm. And that was a that was a big play. So, yeah, he's um, there. People have been calling for Carson Bruner for a long time. You know, and when had that fifteen tackle game as a redshirt freshman against um, Stanford, and you know, I think ever since the then against yeah, Oregon, yeah. yep, had the pick in the long return the next week. Ever since then, I think it's just been kind of like, oh, Carson Bruner's he's there. He's the guy. He's the linebacker of the future. Um, this is you know they've got one of their guys for the next couple of years, and then uh, he he's he's played more in a backup role, and I've been awesome on special teams i mean he's a, a heat-seeking missile missile on on kick coverage and um so he's been been very valuable for them be interesting to see what his usage looks like going forward because they have really liked alfonso tupatala too so and yeah, had a and Foscio is a butkus award finalist he's one of five finalists for that award so biggest thing in this game is going to be the exact same thing that we said going into the first game against oregon which is tackling and specifically tackling bucky irving like that's mm-hmm. to me the the number one factor is is how well how how many yards after contact does Bucky Irving gain? He is as tough a running back as there is, I think, in the country. And and that the the biggest the biggest thing Washington can do is limit that damage, tackle him after when they when they hit him, bring him down because that. I think in the first matchup was one of the the real areas where where Oregon had had a huge amount of advantage. You've by tackling Bucky Irving, you shift the pressure onto Bo Nix, and it's not that Nix hasn't been extraordinary because he has, but you force him to to make longer throws to to not to to not execute the offense, but to make plays. And it's the, like that starts with first down, right? And we probably said exactly the same thing going into. The, the game in October that you can't have six yard gains on first down all day because then they, they're going to have to throw the ball downfield at all. And, you know, those, those piecemeal run the ball, run the ball, run the ball, move the chains. That's exactly what sets up those deep shots to Troy Franklin and Taz Johnson that they're, they've been so good at. And it both of the, excuse me, both of the games that they've played against Oregon and the DeBoer era and Knicks has, has hit, on those plays. So um, it, it's a, it, it's a weird thing to say to that. Hey, yeah, your, your best chance of winning this game and like getting Oregon off the field is for their Heisman trophy candidate quarterback to, to have to have the ball in his hands and make plays. But like, Hey, Oregon's a really good team. Like you're not gonna, you're not going to get them in a, a super advantageous situation for the defense. They're just, they're, they're balanced. They got great talent all over the offense. 
Um, and they've been pretty good defensively too. And that's the other thing. I think there's maybe a little bit, Washington has reason to be more confident going into a game like this than most other conference teams would be because they scored 36 points on them, right? Nobody's scored as many points on this Oregon team as Washington has this season. So they knew what that looked like. That's I'm going to be interested to see, man. Are they going to approach this the same way? Is Grubb just going to assume that because they've shown them certain things that he can't do that this time around? Are they going to try to attack them differently? Were there things they saw the first time they played them that they're going to try to exploit? versus things they've seen on film in the six weeks since that they think they can exploit. Um, and, and how does Oregon counter that? That's going to be a, a fascinating chess match to watch. Is it a college football rematch, man? You don't see it a lot. It's, it's an interesting thing. Look, they've, they give up 500 yards each of the past two games against Oregon. Dang close, if not 500. And they managed to win that game at Husky Stadium despite losing the turnover, like have being at a disadvantage, negative turnover margin. Um, they're going to have to play exceptionally well. It's a great Oregon team. It, it, it is. That's a, that's a, that's a, that's a great team. And if nothing else, this is maybe a moment where it crystallizes these two programs that have had such an intense rivalry that has kind of boiled down to a little bit of, Washington's history versus Oregon's recent success where you've got two teams that are really together on a peak in a way that has not happened certainly that often because Oregon's largest, most sustained period of success has come after Washington's most sustained period of success. And for, for all of the, and then Washington went to a Rose Bowl in, in 2000, but you've, you've had some had some real dark periods for for Washington as well. I'm I'm really excited. It was such a good game the first time, and I think it's going to be just as good this time. Is it insane that this game is being played on a Friday? Like I, I understand why, um, and it's it's you know the conference yeah. championship games only exist as TV products, really, and. The Pac-12 is yes. is the Pac-12, and they they don't want to go up against the other the other networks and or the the other conferences, excuse me, and and so it makes sense from that perspective. But it does just feel like these two great teams rematch late in the season, and you're going to turn around and play it on a Friday, you know? Like why not why not give them till Saturday? And I, again, I get I get why I understand why it has to be, but it just it just doesn't feel like a game that should be played on a Friday night. It is a relic or an example of why the Pac-12 has disintegrated as a conference. Like that's that's what it is. Is that it? In the decisions it made, it compromised some very significant parts of of its status. It allowed games to be moved to Friday nights. And it's allowed its championship game to be moved to Friday night because that's what TV networks wanted. Um, certainly the decision it made with the Pac-12 network has, but it's it's one of those things. Yeah, the game should be played on Saturday. It should be. And it's not. And that's because they took the cash from Fox to to put it on Friday night, right? Like F- Fox wanted the TV property on Friday night. And you can't have a Big Ten team play at 8 p.m. Eastern and no Big Ten, the Big Ten would never compromise that scheduling, but the Pac-12 was willing to. And this is kind of the result that you get. Yeah, it's too bad that it's not being played on Saturday. 
and I, it it is um, the fact that the Pac-12 scrapped divisions and decided to pair its top two teams in the championship game was with the college football playoff in mind, right? George Klyovkov, that was one of the the first things he said. That was one of his big message points when he was hired as commissioner was that every decision that they make around the around football, around Pac-12 football will be with the idea of maximizing CFP participation. And not that anyone's in a mood to give credit to George Klyovkov for anything, but that's what they've done here with this game. Because, yes, yes, you are hurting your quote-unquote regular season champion. Of course, there is no regular season champion. It's an, it's an unofficial title. You are hurting the team that went 12-0 and and 9-0 in league play by forcing them to win another game, to not only claim the conference championship, but to participate in the playoff. But what you've done has essentially ensured that the winner of your game will get a playoff spot. Because in the past, this would be Washington against Arizona on Friday. Uh, Arizona would be, the uh, by itself, the champion of the South Division. And should Arizona pull off an upset in that game, now you don't have anybody going to the playoff. Whereas at least this way, I mean, looking at this from a holistic conference standpoint, you've essentially created a playoff game, a play-in game. I think um, Jack Westover, I believe, said that this week that like for the for the folks who who are frustrated about Washington needing to win this game to get into a four-team field, and this isn't exactly how he put it, but I, I'll get there. That maybe that's the way to look at it. That like, well, look, the the playoff field is expanding for a reason to twelve teams. Washington's effectively in an 18 playoff right now, right? I mean, the, the mm-hmm. way that this sets up, there are a number of conference championship games this weekend that are, and they're not full on play in games. Um, maybe just the PAC 12 and the sec, but yeah, you know, the Texas has got to win to get into the playoff. Even if they win, they might not, depending on what happens elsewhere. Florida state can play its way in. So um, they've, they've taken, what would have would essentially be everybody in the league rooting hard for Washington to beat Arizona and turned it into just, Hey, here's this great game. And the winner is probably going to get into that 14 field. Yeah. The winner will get in, which is the right way. It's the biggest reason that I have no problem with how this is set up. I'm not going to spend time the, the way the big tens playoff championship game is set up is stupid. The fact that Iowa is playing this weekend and both Penn State and Ohio State are idle is dumb. And I don't really care all that much about that because there's constantly things in college football that have been set up in wonky ways. I, I, I have no objections. I'm glad I, I'm glad that Washington's playing Oregon in this game. I, I think that's that's how it should be. They're the two best teams in the conference. They played a month and a half, almost two months ago, they're going to play again, and the winner's going to go to the college football playoff. And that doesn't strike me as unfair in in any regard. It's not how it used to be, but nothing's how it used to be. I, I'm excited. You, I think I think this is the the way it should play out. You you get a chance to win the title on the field. You mentioned the Big Ten. I mean, obviously, they're going away from divisions next year, and it's just going to be top two, like it is in the Pac-12 now for the championship game. So, how often are we going to have a Michigan Ohio State rematch? How often are they going to play each other back-to-back weeks to end the season because they finished first and second place and their rivalry game is the last the last week? I think as it expands, I I think that's going to happen less and less. 
I, I, I do, I do think that we've also seen kind of the height of over the past five to six years in which those have become two so clearly ahead of the rest. Um, I, I don't think it's going to happen that frequently. I might be wrong, but I, I don't, I think that part of the expansion is going to coincide with, I think we're going to see a little ebbing of, of the, the prestige or the stature of both of those programs. Um, here in here in the near future that's just my hunch does that uh does that lead to the big 10 kicking programs out if michigan and ohio state aren't happy (laughs) we'll see man it's going to be a wild time here for college football because the there's a lot of signs that the, the 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 money the tv money that has been fueling this 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 current wave of conference uh reconfiguration is is drying up so i'll be i'll be fascinated to see exactly what happens over these next five or six years in in terms of the the shape of things but hell i think the big 10 is going to have a lot of things to iron out between jim harbaugh and everybody else here in the next few months (laughs) yeah yeah i mean keep it it seems it seems like they've all agreed just to stop saying stuff about harbaugh but i've i've got to believe that the vast majority of the programs in that conference are furious at him. Yeah. I mean, it seems that way you've seen enough like anonymous comments and, and not, not so not as anonymous comments. Um, I think there's a, there's been a deep violation of trust among the big 10 coaches. There's a decent shot. He's gone after this year. And they're talking about seven to 10 openings in the NFL. Um, I'll be, I'll be very interested to see what happens this off season with Harbaugh. Yeah. So what is um what is what is your official viewing plan for Friday night? I guess it's still up in the air. Uh, it is. I will most likely be in a hotel room in in Northern California, either Sonoma or San Francisco. is is most likely what will happen. Um, it's possible that I may have to time capsule, which won't be that difficult because I'm not going to be around people where I watch it on on YouTube TV. Uh, a delayed start uh, by myself, but, but we'll see. I've, I've had to do that with a couple games this year, which is, which has worked out. Okay. Uh, I still put myself, I've got the discipline to not fast forward through. Um, but that's as of right now, either that or I'll be at Allegiant stadium screaming my little lungs out. Did you see the video of the guys watching the Alabama Auburn finish on a, yes. <laughs> on television, but it was streaming for, for people who haven't seen it. It's, it's quite funny. The, uh, the stream, cuts out basically like as Mil Milrow has dropped back to pass and is standing in the pocket for a second or two, the stream cuts out or, or starts buffering and then it it jumps back to live with Alabama celebrating in the end zone. <laughs> pretty uh pretty unbelievable. I can't, would you it's, be pissed? Or I guess it just it just depends on who you're rooting for. Um, if you're an Alabama fan, you're just, you're probably just so happy that they converted fourth and goal from the 31 that you don't care. But the emotional payoff of that makes it so I don't think you care, but I think that the extreme angst that you would experience as it's cut off and then to be delivered, I would think if you're an Auburn fan, that experience would have been excruciating and it probably would have heightened the possibility that you break your TV or something in your living room. I think I'm going to hold off on publishing my prediction until my, uh, my official post on Thursday. 
you could uh, you could join if you want, and you can you can write a paragraph or two on why you're picking Washington because I know you're going to pick Washington. <laughs> I most certainly will be. Uh, yeah, I'll do that. I'll chip in. I'll 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 I'll, I'll file a, a prediction to onmontlake.com. I'd love to do that. We'll have to. We'll get you a, a contributing byline for that. Um, if you're if you're going to Las Vegas, if you're watching on television on Friday instead of Saturday for some stupid reason, uh, enjoy the game. It's uh, it's going to be an all timer. There's never going to be another one like it. Uh, it is the final Pac-12 championship game as we know it. So we didn't even mention the Heisman conversation. That's a whole other thing. Winner of the game wins the Heisman. <laughs> yeah, Jaden Daniels might have something to say about that, but. Um, Enjoy we'll it. See. Winner of the game wins the Heisman. I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and predict winner of the game wins the Heisman. That's a fair enough prediction. I think they'll both be in New York. I think it's pretty uh pretty safe to say that at least. So enjoy the game, enjoy the week, uh, enjoy everything that goes along with it. It should be very fun. Uh and we will talk to you next week.